Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so pleased you can join us in today's show. I am Michelle. And I am Mark, your host of this podcast, a show that was designed for you, the Awakening Empty Nester. In this series, we will be bringing you a whole range of inspiring insights, heart-filled stories and conversations with truly amazing people. People just like you. People who have navigated through their own challenges, lessons and opportunities. People who have transitioned to living a life of deeper experience, heart-filled contribution and consistent awakening and growth. Find out how they are all living with what we call a strong ECG life pulse. Let's discover more as we dive into this episode. Whether you're an empty nester or not, we trust you will enjoy today's show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for tuning in again. If you're new to this podcast, we are really honoured that you have joined us again today on a beautiful autumn day here in April 2020 in Queensland, Australia. We are looking forward to today's conversation with our dear friends and guests, Pete and Jill Eason. Why? Because they are seasoned empty nesters who have really big hearts. Welcome, Jill. Welcome, Pete. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Mark. G'day, you two. (laughs) You're looking pretty good, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It feels so good to have you join us. Jill, I remember very clearly meeting you back in 2008 and subsequently meeting Pete after that. I just moved across Australia, across the country, from Perth in WA to a small mining town called Singleton. And being new to town, I was really keen to get out and connect with new people, make new friends. And I found the organisation that you were president of, Jill. And it was soon after our first meeting, one evening, I heard this loud knock at the door of my house. A bit freaked out because I was still new to town, I tentatively opened the door and there you were, Jill, beaming from ear to ear. (laughs) (laughs) And to cut a long story short, we worked together for a short while at the Chamber of Commerce, and as a result, I got to know you pretty well. To us, you both have hearts of gold, you are such beacons of community spirit, and we feel honoured and grateful to have you on our show. Thank you. So for our listeners, Pete and Jill are empty nesters of three children, aged 30 and above. They have four grandchildren, all living in Brisbane. What I know and have heard about this couple has inspired me. Michelle has always spoken very highly of Jill and her kindness and open-hearted way of dealing with everyone that she comes in contact with. And Pete, I met him a couple of times and I was blown away by the wisdom of this man, his lateral and big picture way of thinking. We also are inspired by many of Pete's adventures that he's experienced. I'm sure you'll share with us throughout today's conversation. Yes, welcome again. And Pete and Jill, you have so many stories within you in the few (laughs) years that you have lived on this earth. So tell us a little about your background, where you were born and the journey to where you are now. Well, I originally came from the UK as a a young 16-year-old with my family and I started high school in, uh, in Campbelltown in, in New South Wales and 
Pete was one of the first people that I met because he was in the same year as I was. And uh, I got teased unmercifully uh, because of my plummy English accent. <laughs> so the very first thing that I attempted to do was lose that. So uh, I tried to pick up the Aussie slang and uh, way of speaking so that I didn't feel that I stuck out quite as, quite as much because as a teenager, you really feel like you need to fit in. Mm. Um, what do you do about your five foot eleven height? You, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that, that didn't help either. Uh, I was very tall, very thin, with a big, big mop of curly hair, and uh, yeah, it it was a kind of a difficult thing for me to uh, blend in with everybody, I must say. But I I got over it, I guess, and uh, I did fit in, and uh, I enjoyed those two years of uh, senior high school in spite of the boys giving me heaps all the time, Pete being the ring, ringleader. Oh, is he? <laughs> oh, find that hard to believe. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm surprised. I'm shocked. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I then became a teacher, a phys ed teacher. Um, Pete went off and did surveying. Uh, we were training in the same city, so we did see quite a bit of each other and, I guess, eventually uh, we got married. Moved to... Uh, well, we lived in Camden, in the Camden area. Pete got a, a job in the mines there. Uh, I was teaching at Camden High School until we till we had our family. We started our family. And then we moved up to Singleton. Pete got a transfer with his job. I uh, We moved when our second daughter was barely out of hospital. So she was six weeks old mm-hmm. um, when we moved. So uh, he had already started the job. So I packed up a two-year-old and uh, a baby and the whole house and and we moved to Singleton. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably one of the more traumatic times of my life, but I don't know, you seem to get through these things amazingly. And, yeah, we, we, we loved Singleton and uh, I guess we really... You're shaking your head. <laughs> we really enjoyed living there and um, built a house and, and our children grew up there. It was a great town to raise a family. I'll just interject there. You just... You didn't just build a house. It wasn't just a standard house, was it? No, um, it was a little bit like um, Jill's character. It was a little bit random. House. <laughs> no, we built the stone house. You're right, Mark. That was um, a lifetime effort. I calculated later that um, to build the house itself, uh, I picked up 400 tonnes of rock wow. just to build the house. Wow. And after that, we started to do the stone paving and the landscaping. So it went on and on. So it was a big job, a great adventure, a great thing to do. A great adventure, I should say. But we got a bloke over from near Orange to, uh, who was a stonemason who did the work and uh, learned a lot from him. And that was good. We actually finished the house off, the stonework ourselves. And then, uh, then the real work started. We had to uh, finish the house off and do the inside sort of um, mortaring on the rocks and clean it all down and so a huge huge effort and that was part of what I was saying before about um, having kids young kids yes and I remember too often that uh, young Dan would say come on let's play soccer I said no I'll just finish these last few rocks Dan I'll be right mate I'll be out before dark mm. and dark came and I, and I I remember too often I might have kicked the ball around once or twice but anyhow that's the learning curve for me um, mm. especially now when you realize that, that we just sold the bloody house so uh, Whereas it's very important to you and homes are very important to you. In relative terms, they're not that important homes. Mm. Home and family are so important, aren't they? Especially one that Mm. you've built yourself. So you lived in it for 30 years, is that right? Yeah, moved in 85, just sold in uh, 19. 
Right. Thirty-four years. Right. Okay. A great accumulation of junk there, which we have to sort out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all the things that we carry and keep hanging on to. So there's a lesson in that as well, isn't there? So did you did you manage to let go of a lot of stuff? Uh, yes, a lot of stuff. Probably not enough. Mm. We've still got a, a, a large number of boxes in the shed here. A because it won't fit in this house, and B we we still don't know quite what to do with it. When you live on uh, in a house or on a property that's got space, collecting bits and pieces is easy to do because right. there's there's places to to, to, put them. to leave it. Mm. Um, and it's only when you actually come to suddenly think you've got to clear it all away because somebody else won't want it. <laughs> it's not that meaningful to them that you realise how much stuff you've actually collected. So you moved to a large acreage with your stone home and you've sold that last year in 2019 Mm -hmm. and you've now moved into a home on the Sunshine Coast, a smaller home and uh, nowhere near as much storage as you previously had. So you basically downsized, yes? Yes. To some degree. We're still on one acre here. Uh, We've got a shed out at the front actually and the carport. So we've got an opportunity to put a lot of stuff in the shed still. So it's pretty well full. Not much moving room now, like Jill said. But uh, yeah, look, we love Melania up here. Uh, we hadn't, uh, we've been travelling around the caravan for about three years on and off just to find where we are going to move to because we always thought we were going to and we knew we were. And we've been basically South Coast people, New South Wales, South Coast. Yes. And that was always our destiny, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And Jules' mum's still down there, so uh, it was probably a big incentive to go down that way. But when we came up here for the first time, we said, gee, this, uh, this ticks a few boxes and... Uh, we ended up coming back again about six months later for our son's wedding up this way and because uh, he was living in Brisbane by then. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty keen for us to move into Mullaney. So he said, I've got an inspection lined up for you when you're up. So after the wedding, we'll go and have a look at this house. And I said, oh, yeah, right. So off we went. We didn't buy the house. We bought uh, another one. So okay. during that week, actually, wow. put an offer in. So we didn't spend too much time in the end. Yeah. After uh, spending about three or four years looking around the place, it took us about three or four days to... Uh, actually decided to buy a house up here and here we are yeah. and so far good decision great place so can i ask you a question on that so from those moves from sydney to singleton from singleton to Mullaney, what would be your biggest aha moment or your lesson that you would have learnt from those shifts is there any one particular thing that you may have learnt from those relocations those transitions oh look um one big obvious one there mark is that i guess traditionally Moving wasn't uh, a, uh, a common thing in, in a generation ago. You lived and uh, you worked uh, a lot of times where you were born almost, but I, we were talking to a project engineer that worked with me in the Hunter Valley, and he told me at the same stage of life he'd been in 14 different towns because wow. he's a project manager. He moved around all the time with his kids. And so there's a, obviously a huge range between... Uh, living and working forever in one place versus just keep on travelling around. But I think yeah, it's, there's almost an inertia to, to a move. You know, you're comfortable, you, like, you know people, uh, it's where you're brought up, so to speak. So taking that first big step, it's a brave step. You've got to break in a whole new circle of uh, people, friends, uh, workmates, etc. It's a bit daunting for a lot of people, but there's also that exciting element to it, which is it's new, it's an adventure. The only regret I might have is that we haven't moved enough. Uh, I think. <laughs> so you still have a lot of years ahead of you, I'm sure. Yeah, but actually it was unfortunate we found out our final destination early on in life, Mullaney, we think. <laughs> 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 but um, 
the one of the projects we had in mind was to uh, move to a town, buy an old house, renovate it, yes, and then sell it and move on to the next town uh-huh. and repeat the process. But you know, I'm really glad we didn't do that. That's bloody hard work. <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that why? Because the amount of work? Uh, the reason why I wouldn't do it now is because of the amount of work, perhaps. Yes, it's constant. A lot of uh, fiddly stuff, a lot of work to be done. Yes. Enjoyable. Mm. Love doing it. Mm. But uh, once you establish yourself in town, our idea of two or three years probably isn't really quite long enough. In fact, when we moved up to the Hunter Valley, we said, we'll go out there for a couple of years and give it a try. Mm. You know, 35 years later, we, we yeah. finally got out of the place. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how it would have worked out, but I like the idea. I Just moving on, meeting new people, breaking another circle of friends. Mm. Yes. We love it. Um, it's refreshing. It's invigorating. And uh, I'm really pleased we're, we're up here at the moment. Lovely people up here as well. It's finding and, that uh, balance, isn't it, between feeling comfortable and having that community around you versus the adventure and seeking new experiences, similar to you were talking earlier about the balance between family and work. It's finding that balance where you you can serve both and feel fulfilled at the same time. And you said two years in the Hunter Valley, but you spent 35 years there. So my question to you both is what kept you there in Singleton? It was the business, I guess. Um once we started that business, it was a bit like a, a rolling stone. It just sort of kept growing and we, we were responsible for it. So we, we couldn't go anywhere for, mm-hmm. for quite a while. And I guess as our kids were growing up in that area, moving them at that point in, in high school, is it's tough for them to, to move at that age. They've got their circle of friends. So we didn't even think about moving for, oh, well, until the kids had left home, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, as your family's growing up, friends that you make tend to be parents of your children's friends and, and that sort of thing. And your, your social circle revolves a lot of, around mm-hmm. them and mm-hmm. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, their soccer team's parents or the athletics group or whatever it is that they're, they're into, music or singing or orchestras or whatever it is, those are the parents that you tend to mix with and they become your social circle. Mm. Once your kids have left home, if you move at that point, which we did, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's a whole new ball game mm. of, of meeting new people. And the best way that we found to do that is to actually join a, an organisation. Mm-hmm. And we could have joined the golf club and just played golf and we would have met people. But when you join an organisation and become part of it and volunteer, you get to know people so much more quickly and, and uh, you know, on a deeper level because you're making decisions together. Yeah, yeah. You're just the most heart-centred volunteer that I've known. You gave so much of yourself to the Chamber of Commerce in Singleton and whenever there was somebody needing a helping hand, you were there. You were there and with a smile on your face as well. And... You have a huge part of the community, well-loved, well-respected, and it's just been wonderful, inspiring to watch you. And it's because of you, Jill, that it planted a seed in my own heart about the value of service, the value of contributing to others without needing the recognition, without needing the you know, anything from it, just doing it unconditionally because you care about people. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's very, very kind of you. I, I guess what question is what's, what's driving um, anybody to do that, to volunteer or to be part of an organisation? I, I suppose part of my, my growing up 
was that when there was something that needed doing, then you got in and, and did it. Um, it wasn't about what's in it for me. It was about, well, okay, this, you know, this is the athletics club and they need somebody to run it. And well, yeah, I can, I can do that because I have a, I have a knowledge in that area or the chamber of commerce was okay. Well, we've, we've won an award a couple of times. It's probably time that we stopped entering as a business and started um, helping others in that same thing. I never intended to be uh, president or, or, or part of the committee, but I went along to meetings and I, I guess I obviously talked to people and somebody saw a, a value there that uh, they, <laughs> they thought, well, yeah, you know, here's someone that can help us. And something like a, a Chamber of Commerce where you're all working for the same end and game, I guess, which is to further business in the town or for everybody to improve what they're doing. Having got to a point in our business life where we had achieved reasonably well, why not give back to, to those, you know, particularly small, you know, young small businesses that are just starting out? Mm. It's the toughest Thing in the world because you've suddenly got to be an expert about everything. Mm-hmm. You, you have your expertise, whatever it might be, welding or you know, carpentry or, or hairdressing or mm-hmm. tattooing or whatever it is, you know, you, you've got that expertise and you know how to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything about tax. You don't know anything about payroll. You don't know anything about HR. You don't know anything about customer relationship or marketing or, or any of those things and suddenly you, you've got to be an expert on all those things and mm-hmm. that's jolly tough. It really is. Um, and, and you don't have the money to employ all those advisors when you first start out. So, you know, we picked up that experience just by, by working hard and, and talking to the right people and, and just picking it up as we went along. I mean, we made plenty of mistakes, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we got there in the end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and how beautiful that from your own experience, whether there were successes or failures, you were able to impart that knowledge and wisdom to other businesses and to, to create that community, that hub where so many business people would get together, network together as well. And the story that went on from when Jill knocked on the door was that I wasn't intending to work for Chamber. I didn't even know what a Chamber was. And all of a sudden, the next day, I was the secretary <laughs> of the Chamber. <laughs> so just like you say, you know, you learn and I learned on the fly and you taught me well. And <laughs> apart from the friendships, the social group, being familiar with your town and the surroundings, that community spirit, that connection with the hearts of people around you, knowing that you've served them, knowing they've served you, knowing that you share something in common, that's probably one of the hardest things to move away from, isn't it? Yes, and it certainly was a bit of a, a rift for us to leave Singleton. Um, 35 years is a, is a long time to, to be in one place. But it, it was a town, I guess, that changed fairly regularly because uh, as a mining town there was a lot of people coming and going Mm. Uh, so there was a a lot of friends that we'd made there that had moved on somewhere else Mm -hmm. and and so it was a a kind of a shifting thing anyway I think the thing that for me anyway that decided that we wanted to move was we just wanted new things to do Mm -hmm. you know it became a bit same old same old Mm. And, and while we left some very dear friends behind, there, 
they're the sort of people that we know will visit us and we know that we'll go back and visit them. And phone calls and video calls and things that we can do now means that it's, you know, we haven't really left them. Yes, yes. Um, but it was, we, we just wanted new things to do. And, and Singleton gets very hot in the summer and I was not going to go through another hot summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I love the fact that you guys are so big in contribution and help out and teach and, and so on. One of the things that I do know that you love to do is experience life. Pete, you were just sharing with us before we jumped on this call about one work-related experience that you had. You're a surveyor, a mine surveyor, and you're sharing a story about getting a different perspective of some mining works. Maybe you want to share that with us. Yeah, don't try this at home. I, uh, yeah, we needed, uh, we had this new bit of technology which allowed us to do aerial photo- photographic uh, mapping at your desk in front of you. Uh, n- normally these machines are huge and you need a big, uh, big space for them, but they just refined the technology down to a very small unit, which is great. So I thought I'd, uh, I needed to use this bit of technology and I had an opportunity to do some mapping of a, an afterblast in the open cut mine. It's the sort of area that once it's been blasted, you can't walk over it. It's just too fragile, too loose, it's too lumpy. The only way to do a survey of it is from the air. And this machine was just the ideal uh, solution for that um, exercise. So, yeah, there's a bloke over the back of town who uh, I heard about. had an ultralight, and I thought, ultralight, that's the way. You get down nice on those, take some good photographs, not too bad. Uh, I'll give him a call. So, yeah, organised it. He said, come on out, I'll have a look. So I went out. He said, yeah, I'll do tandems. I'll take you. and I said, great. Um, he said, come back this afternoon. We'll have a trial. I said, fine. Uh, can I have a look at this thing you'd call a, an ultralight before I go, just in case I don't really want to do this? So I went over his um, little shed there that he had with the ultralight in it, and I pulled a few wires, and I said, yeah, are these things safe, mate? He said, mate, safe? They're the safest thing you can do on the air. So I went away and thought about it, and I came back in the afternoon, and uh, he put me into this seat. And it was more of a backrest. It wasn't much room there. I just imagined me with my arms and legs around this pilot that was going to sit in front of me. <laughs> I wasn't real keen on that for a start, but um, uh, it wasn't that good looking. Uh, so I got, I got tied in this machine like I couldn't get out. And then he went down the back and said some strange words. I think he said something like, um, uh, ready to start engines, clear props. I thought, right, oh, I've got nowhere to go anyhow, mate. Just do it. <laughs> then I heard... Then I heard a thud and he swore like badly and I looked around, I can see why. The bloody propeller was on the ground. The bolts had been on the hold, the propeller to the shaft were broken and snapped and he just oh, couldn't believe it. I said, get me out of here, mate. <laughs> and that started the whole process. I thought, that's it, I'm not coming back here again. But he said to me, look, I'll go down to the hardware store. I didn't tell you about this one before, but uh, he said he's going to get down to the hardware store and get a few bolts. Come back this afternoon when it cools down a bit, we'll still go for our trial. I said, I'll think about it. I found out later, you can't just go down to a hardware store and use the bolts that are down there. They're high tensile, specialised bolts for these bloody machines. He didn't say anything about that at the time. See, we were on mighty 10 bolts being attached to a propeller. I actually came back. I didn't tell Jill about it, but I came back and um, I went for the flight anyhow because I was stupid. <laughs> and I needed, these bloody, I needed these photographs, you know, so... Off we went. Well, it's a fantastic experience flying around, by the way. If you want to go on an ultralight flight, I, I recommend it. It's um, just fascinating. But um, anyhow, so we did the flight. It was a trial, and we actually did it on the, the real day. And uh, the flight went well, and the 
and the photographs, uh, I took the photographs by hanging out the side of this ultralight and I'm thinking, I'm going to die here. This is stupid. You actually got to really reach out to take the photograph properly, you know. So it was a bit scary. And that's what coming in to land at the airport out there. It was a back, uh, landing strip at the back of uh, Singleton. And we, I saw some uh, fellows working in the gliders, which we knew uh, flew from around there. So I thought, I'm going to do that. I've had the ultralight today. That's great. I can say I've ticked that one. I'll go and uh, see if I can do the glider flight. When I got out of the car, I said goodbye to my mate and went over and uh, talked to him. And uh, uh, I said, you take uh, people up for flights? And they said, yeah, not today. Come back Saturday. And as I was walking away, I turned back and I said, oh, by the way, are these things safe? He said, safe, mate. They're the safest thing you can do in the air. And yada, yada. He said, you see those two silly buggers and those ultralights? He said, don't, whatever you do, don't, never do that. He said, no way, mate. I'll never do that again. <laughs> That's my little story. I uh, love that story. So the, the moral of the story is you don't need a propeller. No, you don't. No, you just <laughs> take out a mitre 10 to get the bolts for the propeller. Uh, there's, always a, there's always a bit of wire. There's always a solution. That's yes. it. That's the farmer's way of doing this. A bit of fence wire will fix everything. That's yeah. it, yeah. yeah that's and it. duct tape. That's <laughs> nothing you can't fix about duct tape. That's right. That's it. Now I'll probably make you say that. <laughs> uh, so that's one of your many adventures, Pete. Tell us more. Tell us more. We'd like to hear about other adventures you've been on. Most of my adventures uh, uh, have really come about because somebody's offered or uh, asked me if I wanted to do something. Uh, okay. I don't know if I've actually gone out and done too many on my own. But, yeah, we've, uh, my brother rang up and said, uh, we're going to Everest because his son had been to Everest the year before. And he said, we're thinking about going. Do you want to come? I thought about it. Uh, for about three seconds, and I said, yes, <laughs> up to. And um, never really wanted to, but uh, anyhow, uh, I thought about it. And then, then he said to me, oh, that's good because I can't go. I just need someone to chaperone my family. You <laughs> 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 bugger. But uh, as it turned out, I shamed him in the gun and, uh, on the trip after a while. So him, his wife, and, one, and his daughter, plus myself and my daughter, Kate, our daughter, Kate, I should say, <laughs> We're off we went. So we went off to, uh, yeah, climb up to base camp. And uh, what an experience that was. I would fully uh, um, recommend anybody who's got the slightest uh, inclination to do so. Fantastic experience. You go on these sort of trips. Uh, and I've been to Kokoda as well. Mm. There's obviously the scenery. There's the people, the lifestyle. It's just, uh, and the engagement with the people you're with to do the trek. And it's a real challenge. And and to do that with your daughter and your and my brother and family, that was, that was uh, terrific. But um, as you get up higher and higher and you're going up towards base camp, you do have uh, a real struggle. It's not just the physical walking, it's the, the walking without oxygen. We went up to, eventually got to 5,550 metres, which is a bloody long way up. And um, it was a real struggle the last 400 metres the morning that we did it to get to the top as far as we're going to go. And there's a little place called... Kalapatar, which is a viewing platform basically for Mount Everest itself. Mm-hmm. We were at 5,550 metres. Me and the guide, we were the only two that made it, standing there looking back on a beautiful clear day at Mount Everest and looking up at Mount Everest and it was 3,300 metres above where I was standing at wow. the time. Wow. It was just um, was sort of spiritual. Yes. And I was thinking that place should never be touched. Mm-hmm. It should just sit there and no one should be allowed to go past where we are. I reckon that is one of the magic places in the world. Mm. I can only imagine uh, standing on top of the bloody thing and looking around. Mm. 
360 degrees, that would be something else. But it is such a special place. They had a really uh, touching uh, moment for me just being there. And I guess there's a bit of achievement in that, uh, to be able to get to the top, mm. old bugger as I was. And um, that was quite an achievement. Sorry, Pete. How old were you when you did that? It was in, I shouldn't, I can't remember. Um, 64, 64. 64 say 64. Years young. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The other boat, another couple that were with us, um, the fellow was, him and I were the only two that were going to make that effort for the last day to go up there. We had to leave at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning because we wanted to be up there without the clouds going over Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. And we're walking off in the dark and he started coughing. And about 20 minutes into the day, into the walk, he, uh, he was coughing up blood. Oh, so he had, uh, he had altitude sickness and uh, that's different to lack of oxygen. It's a, it's a real issue. So right. the guide said, that's it, you're done, you're going back. Wow. So he, he took him back. And uh, so it was just me and the guide, as it turned out. Uh, because the, the girls had been a bit crooked um, and the day, uh, the day before, so anyhow, so it was a, a war of attrition to some extent. Yeah, yes. yeah. Was your uh, guide and, our mutual friend Dawa Sherpa? Yeah. Oh, you know wow. that, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he took you to the, to yeah. your your top, the five thousand five hundred meters. I didn't know that. Yeah, one of the best yeah. little uh, videos uh, I've got in my little pocket of videos is uh, Dawa and I standing there, arm around each other, oh, face wow. what do you call this FaceTime. Yeah. FaceTiming yes. with um, Mount Everest in the background. Yes. It was a really nice moment. Yeah. yeah. He's a good character. He's he done is, a good job. Great adventure. Uh, on Mount Everest, uh, when you go higher than where we were, you're actually into climbing, not trekking, and you need all the gear. Oh, and right. it costs you about $80,000 minimum to get up there. Right. So I don't think Dawa's been any further, than, any higher than what we have. Right. But I did notice a, um, a bit of video come through the other day that he's uh, ridden a mountain bike somewhere else in the world. Up higher than where we were. No way. 5,800 metres or something. I'm thinking, wow, how the hell do you do that? Yeah. He's so fit. He's so, so fit. super. And obviously used to altitude, uh, yes, yes. so you can do those sorts of things. But don't, wow. like I said, don't try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't anything that interests you, Jill? You went into that sort of um, thing? I, I I probably would have gone, except mm-hmm. that um, I was suffering from a frozen shoulder at at the time of that's when right. all of this planning was going on. Mm. And as Michelle would know, that's not a pleasant thing to have <laughs> at the best of times, uh, yet alone trying to carry a backpack and climb up metres and metres and metres with with not much oxygen. So I, I decided that it would be a probably silly thing to do. Mm. Um, I love trekking and I, I think I would have gone if I'd been hale and hearty. Um, <laughs> But, no, I, I thought that that would be not sensible. There's another end to that story, which is really nice. Our whole trip wasn't based on going to the top of that thing. That was a silly idea. We just came up with halfway up. But we're on our way back down to go to a monastery and spend a couple of days down there. Right. And uh, we'd uh, apparently found out that the, there's a ring pache. And the ring pache is a person who looks after the monastery, a very important person in Nepal, in their religion. And Doa was obviously it was very clean he's very religious and he had the opportunity to come down to the monastery take us all the way down all of us Mm -hmm. and meet the Rinpoche and spend two days there with him it was almost like a life ambition for uh for Dawa so what a special um couple of days we had there and uh it actually brought Dawa to tears just the fact that he could spend his time with uh with the Rinpoche and uh just a beautiful moment and uh and made the whole trip beautiful 
it was the hardest thing I've had to do, that whole t- trick. It was, it is, the way we did it, it was a really tough uh, assignment. Um, mm. Even going, supposedly going down to the monastery, we're actually going up more than we're going back down. <laughs> and just long, long days of climbing uh, up and uh, it's just, it was tough, really tough. Actually, how many how many days was it in total that you were away on the mountains? Uh, probably a dozen uh, to 15 days in total. Yeah. Well, probably two weeks, yeah, 15 days, yeah. Something nice. like that. Yeah, yeah um, we went through uh, Kathmandu. We spent time there, and uh, it's the typical Asian sort of uh, town with lots of hustle and bustle, right. narrow streets, and people everywhere, and mm-hmm. wire, electrical wires sort of in oh, bundles yeah. on top of poles, and all that sort of stuff <laughs> you, you see many times. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's got all that, and uh, so we enjoyed that part. Of it, yeah. And I believe the two of you have both gone trekking together on flatter land. <laughs> yeah, well, we we've been all around Tasmania. We did we did a trip down there and uh, did part of the three capes walk. Um, and we 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 were going to do a, a fairly big walk up in uh, Cradle Mountain, but we decided when we had been gone about what two hours and uh, the weather had come in and we really couldn't see two feet in front of our face that it probably wasn't wise to go trekking off mountains <laughs> um, because literally we could have stepped off um, off the edge because you, you could not see where you're going. The cloud was that thick. But um, there's, a, there's a better story. We went over to New Zealand and uh, South oh, Island, yes. Milford Sound, you know Milford down yeah. there? Yes. Out of Queenstown and all that. We, uh, we went off for a walk, just a bit of a walk, and Jill said, I'm only coming if you promise me it's not going to rain, I'm not going to get cold. <laughs> I said, no problem, no problem. It's bloody February. It should be fine. Yeah. I did take a raincoat because I'm not silly enough to realise that it doesn't rain in New Zealand. <laughs> so that's what I did. End of day one, we're getting towards where we were going to stop that night and uh, started to rain. As we get a little bit further up, we're getting a bit darker. Then the raindrops looked a little bit more like snow or sleet. And by the time we, when we wake up the next morning, the whole area was covered with about two foot of snow. Oh, <laughs> snow and we were right in the middle of it and the next day was a huge day just climbing up the mountain over the over the mountain ridge in this wilderness area yes. and down the other side you're putting your feet in as you're going down the hill you don't know what you're putting your foot on whether it's going to get down six foot or go down in six inches and uh, mm. it was just so tough we got dehydrated and uh, so that was another adventure and so it was a great uh, trip love that area beautiful part of the world Yes, yes. Been back there uh, skiing just recently as well. Nice. For the listeners wondering why a couple in their 60s, why are they going off and doing these crazy sounding adventures? So why do you do it? <laughs> I, um, uh, my life ambition is to uh, not stop doing it. I can just imagine myself at 95 going back over and climbing up uh, Mount Everest or something. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's my ambition because I, I don't I'm not going to give in to this old age thing. It's just it's not part of me, and I keep myself extremely fit. I bike ride. I uh, do all sorts of sports, and I'm not going to slow down. I refuse to slow down, and I'm not going to get any knee replacements neither. I don't <laughs> like the idea of them. <laughs> it's a, it's a philosophy of use it or lose it um, uh-huh. that I guess we operate on. Yeah, Pete probably uh, is a, is a lot fitter than I am, but I. I still, in this particular time where we, we can't do our normal sports and activities, I'm, I'm doing online fitness classes and things just to try and mm-hmm. keep, in, 
in shape and going for long walks because you can and that's one of the things that you can do and it's so beautiful around here to to walk anyway that it's uh, no real hardship at all so you know coming from a, a phys ed background i guess my knowledge of the human body is is probably uh, more extensive than some and you know when you understand how things work if you if you don't use them they stop working so mm. good nutrition good exercise and uh, healthy out- outdoor activities are probably the thing that keeps us going pretty well. Yeah, well, uh, Jill's coming on the. We did a. I did a 50k run up in the mountains up here last year. More of a walk than a run, by the way. But okay. I, uh, <laughs> I've, I'm trying to encourage Jill to come on this uh, this one next year, or this year in fact. Uh, we'll see how we go with one. Uh, yeah, 50k's in one day is a big day for me. <laughs> yeah, you sound pretty fit, Pete, and that's really a great ambition to have. And anything is possible. Yeah. yeah, the only thing that uh, you've got, in fact, you've got an advantage now because you're a little bit wiser. And that's not a big thing for me because I was never that wise. But <laughs> just got a few life experiences to <laughs> draw on as well. So sometimes common sense does prevail, you know. <laughs> yes, that's Not true. often, says Jill. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess we've got to be careful of what we take on board, but uh, so I far, it's a big management. I have to put a few breaks on him from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What do you both do mentally to keep yourself um... engaged, growing? Yeah. yeah, engaged and growing. Growing, growing mentally. We do crosswords while we have breakfast. Yes. <laughs> um, We're growing our vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it keeps the keeps the brain working at least. I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I this is ideal for me because I uh, I love this sort of um, uh, the growing thing. I, I love writing, uh, writing just full stop. But I love writing songs. It's a great way to spend some time, and you know, through the coronavirus period, ideal. Uh, you just sit around, and um, as long as you don't sing too loud, so you upset Jill. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great time to spend being a little bit creative. Uh, I, I'm a, I do artwork as well. I do watercolors and stuff. So just sitting around and uh, doing that sort of creative type activity means that you're not stagnant as much as i like watching some things on tv i don't like the idea of just watching tv yes so there's always going to be something else that uh, takes your attention mm. and from a business background and we spend a lot of time uh, working at home at night time uh, working on jobs and working on the business etc it's sort of like second nature now to to be doing something on the computer with uh, spreadsheets or uh, business or documents or you know the sort of stuff you all do yeah. you still do that when you're uh, retired by the way in case you're wondering but um, it's not, not as uh, busy as it was, so yeah. it's probably a bit more relaxed way of doing it. But that's a good thing to do with the mind. I like, uh, I think um, philosophy is one of a, a bit of a hobby that I've taken on board. I, I like uh, thinking of different ways of looking at uh, the way we live and the way we operate. Nice. And I think I've got um, really good suggestions for the Prime Minister, but, you know, he just hasn't run me up yet to, to ask me what... <laughs> He's, he's a bit busy right now. Yeah, he's got a few things. Um, I uh, I love uh, coming up with theory theorems about uh, how we could uh, operate this country a lot better. Probably with about uh, same as about twenty million other people. By the way, I, I acknowledge that. But it's just nice to uh, come up with uh, different different points of view, I suppose. So you're putting your hat in the ring in the next election. Yeah, look, uh, I thought about it and then I looked at Jill and I thought, no, I probably, probably won't do that. Taking <laughs> 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 ahead of the time. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> 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 
what you've shared with us today, I came into this just remembering you both as contributors, people who have a heart of gold and knowing, you know, Pete, the different experiences you've had too, but you've just also highlighted the other pillar that we teach people of growth, the necessity to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep your brain stimulated. And you know, as our listeners may or may not know, we teach about having a strong ECG life pulse. And the E stands for experiencing more and more deeply. The C is for contributing wholeheartedly. And the G is about growth and learning. So Pete and Jill, you do exactly that. You you live the ECG pillars. So thank you so much for sharing your life, parts of your life with us. We'd like to leave you with three questions. Three questions we like to ask some of our do you want the answers as well, or just, just the questions? <laughs> yes, we'd like to. We'd like a brief answer from you. <laughs> so, what's your next experience? Your next new experience that you are looking forward to having? Uh, well, we we were going to do this Camino walk this year, but that's been put on hold. So, we will do it next year, providing uh, the world settles down again. Mm. So that will. Uh, that that's a, about a 20k a day walking um, expedition learning spanish as we go and portuguese and and being part of a singing group which uh, which will be a new experience i think uh, one of the things we've had in mind for a while now is uh, blaze aid and i think we're prime subjects for that we're, um, we've got a caravan we're old enough and silly enough but uh, what a great contribution that is uh, to go out and help farmers recover from things like fires and natural disasters all around the country. So they set up camps, hook into their um, website and find out where the camps are. Right. And then you just say, I'm coming. I'll, I'll be there and whatever, you know, a week and I'll be able to spend a week, I'll be able to spend two weeks. So get a good way to get out and help people and also uh, experience what we enjoy doing, which is travelling and seeing different parts of the country. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the ones that uh, comes up uh, very strong. Mm. Um, and getting deeper into the community here, we've uh, and really touched the surface. So obviously, there's a lot of projects here that we'll be involved in, and we're um, we're getting Park Run up and running here. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you know about Park Run, yes. you probably do. But that's a nice little project to be working on. The golf clubs keeps us very busy as well. Uh, but I guess the other thing is that, and this might be another one of your questions, Michelle. But the life, the family project, obviously, because we got the kids and their and their kids all around us pretty pretty close by now. So obviously, and Julie mentioned it, but that's one of her uh, projects that she's definitely got on her list, spending more time with the grandkids and becoming uh, a grandma to, uh, you know, to the young the young ones as they're getting older and getting into their school years and stuff like that. So that's something certainly everybody uh, would love to be looking forward to, I'd imagine. Yes, yes, spending time with family and... Yeah, well, now that you're empty nesters and you have that time, you can do those, all of those things, experiencing what you've just described there. But how wonderful to be giving back at the same time, that BlazeAid. So any listeners who are tuning in, blazeaid.com.au, B-L-A-Z-E-A-I-D.com.au. What a wonderful project. Another question we'd like to ask you is, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're probably doing something that the listeners can't do, which is seeing the expressions on our face. Did you see how they just went blank? You notice that? It says it all. 
uh, so uh, that's something I'll probably put a bit of time to when I'm about 95, I think. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hopefully it's one way away. <laughs> we'll, have uh, you, yeah. we'll have you back on a podcast when you hit that age. How's that? Yeah, okay, they do that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting question. I haven't uh, spent a – I don't think we, we spend much time thinking about that. But um, uh, uh, I guess uh, we don't really want to do anybody any harm. We like to think that uh, um, people will look upon us as being uh, nice people. And uh, I don't know, it's, a, you, you spend your life, uh, you probably do make enemies along the way, but not by intent. And uh, it'd be nice to think that uh, we uh, don't leave too many enemies behind when we, when we pass on. So uh, obviously rem- being remembered fondly, but also I guess being remembered as being people that do achieve stuff. And I think we said to you before that uh, we like to be involved with uh, people that uh, are positive and you know you can always and, and a lot of people do this you can always come up with hurdles you can always come up with reasons why things can't happen or won't happen and you turn that around and you say no they're just obstacles there's solutions for them do you really want to do it because we get we can do this thing you know mm. and that's the attitude that we'd like to uh, i'd like to be remembered by as can do attitude that really brings it all together doesn't it the whole growth there are things there are obstacles but if we move through them and we we find the solutions like you said earlier find the solutions to them anything is possible and don't let uh, somebody uh, talk you out of uh, uh, something you want to do because they see obstacles where you see opportunities Mm. definitely absolutely So well done. Thank you. Thank Congratulations you. on what you're doing. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. And I, I, do, I hope it works out very well for you. It's a great thing to do. Thank you. Thank you, Jill and Pete, for your wisdom, your stories, and for most of all highlighting to ourselves and to our listeners the power of experiencing, contributing, growth, and most of all your community spirit. We are certain that you have awakened the hearts and minds of many of our listeners as to what is possible when we reach within ourselves to serve. If there are any listeners out there curious to know more, to link up with Jill and Pete, they can do so through us. Thanks for having us on uh, on the uh, podcast. It's been enjoyable and interesting to talk to you both and, I guess, share some of our stories. Yeah, uh, and we like the journey you're on, so uh, we'll be watching on, in on you too, by the way, to uh, make sure you uh, keep on taking those steps forward and oh. you succeed. So good luck. Thank you. And I appreciate all the nice words you've been saying in the last uh, 45 minutes or so. Some of them uh, are hard to believe, but uh, we'll we'll take them on board and say thank you. That's how you are remembered. That's how you're remembered. And I'm sure there'll be many beautiful memories ahead of you. So thank you both. Now, dear listeners, we don't take this time with you lightly. We work every day to be the living examples of everything we teach. We are deeply honoured and privileged to have the opportunity to contribute to your life in some way. Yes, this is a great honour and opportunity to deliver information and the fact that you are taking an hour out of your day to listen to this podcast. We are humbled by that, that you made this effort. And if you feel awakened by one of our podcasts, please share your experience with us. Reach out and send us an email to podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. You can also join our community on Facebook at The Awakening Empty Nesters. Till we return with our next guest, may you be inspired to awaken your community spirit by opening your world to deeper experience, unconditional contribution and consistent growth and living with a strong ECG life pulse. Goodbye from Mark and myself and thank you again, Jill and Pete. Thank you. Cheers.
This is the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy what you heard today, share with a friend. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your favourite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback for us, you can reach us directly at podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. Looking forward to you joining us on our next show. Thank you for listening.